0: most gracious queen we thee implore to go away and sid no more but if that effort be too great to go away at any rate welcome to coronation catastrophes a royal history geeks podcast commemorating the coronation of king charles iii and queen camilla Most gracious queen, we thee implore to go away and sin no more. But if that effort be too great, to go away at any rate. The coronation of George IV was a moment for the Hanoverian monarch to hit the reset button on his reputation. For much of his life he had been known as little more than a reckless, lusty and drunken prince of pleasure who had eventually presided over a contentious period of rule as regent during the illness of his father, George III. Now the stage was set for a remarkable and expensive occasion. Like all coronations, members of the royal household were charged with a weighty range of responsibilities. But those overseeing George's big event were given one special and unusual instruction: to keep the Queen out of Westminster Abbey come hell or high water. For twenty four years George had been married to a woman he had once described as his greatest enemy. Caroline of Brunswick was a brash, lively, but often popular character in the minds of the king's new subjects. Despite attempts to divorce his estranged bride, Caroline had evaded the case against her. Now, at George's greatest moment of triumph, she decided to show up at the abbey and claim her place as queen. Never before had a king risked such a moment of humiliation on what should have been the most celebrated day of his reign. But despite her best efforts, the Queen failed to gain entry and the day marked a turning point in the respective popularity of the royal couple, with support ebbing from the brash Caroline and flowing to her newly crowned husband. But how on God's green earth had such a bizarre and chaotic set of circumstances ever been allowed to develop? In this episode we explore the history of the unhappy couple, the accusations that were levied against Caroline and the surge in popularity she enjoyed as the public rallied to the cause of a wronged woman.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to the third episode of Coronation Catastrophes, a series of light-hearted podcasts to celebrate the coronation of King Charles III and Queen Camilla i'm royal commentator james taylor and as ever i'm joined by royal history geeks creator gareth streeter hi gareth how's it going it's going well it's going well i i can't complain
0: in 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 the broadest sense i i'm a little nervous about this episode um because basically i feel that this is the first one that's a little bit outside my comfort zone we've obviously already spoken about with basically in in the two episodes we've gone before with have just gone before we've spoken about henry 7th elizabeth of york Catherine of Aragon, and henry the eighth and i get that because you know i've recently written a book about
1: um about the early tudor period good heavens have you written a book now you see i did wonder how long it would be before we managed to get that and it's it's only been a couple of minutes
0: yes very droll james very droll (laughs) Um, i have written a book yes about um prince arthur um Arthur it's called Arthur Prince of Wales Henry VIII's Lost Brother and it's now available for pre-order from all good booksellers um but as a result I did feel well placed to speak about what we're speaking about which is to say I won't have got some things wrong and I'm sure people will tell us if we have but I feel a little bit more out of my comfort zone with the Georges I have to say
1: ah well don't worry we're an expert now we'll get stuck in but before we do I must just say I am I'm feeling all right but I kind of feel I shouldn't be, because if we're talking about George the Fourth. I kind of feel that I should have been out last night and doing something terribly debauched and be feeling the ill effects of it now. And unfortunately, I wasn't. So you know, I, I kind of feel I'm not. I'm not living the. Not you're, living. The, you're,
0: the, you're not like embodying that. the Regency spirit of debauchery.
1: No, no <laughs> indeed, not. No, I feel like I feel like you know, if I'd been really method about this, I'd have mm. been out and you know been. With the champagne and dancing girls and all of that kind of thing, and uh, I wasn't. Sadly. We
0: need you do need to commit to the role, but see, the night is yet young, so it could be that for the duration of this this um, over this podcast, that um, the spirit of George the Fourth, or indeed of Queen Caroline, enters you, and who who knows what we may what tales we may hear about tomorrow morning.
1: <laughs> anyway, back to uh, back to the subject in hand. Let's get stuck in and see how we do. So George and Caroline, now you've outlined their moment of a peak confrontation, but how on earth did things degenerate to such a terrible state of affairs between the king and queen? Well, there's a lot of
0: history to their relationship um, and a lot of mistakes were made. But in one sense, it didn't so much degenerate because degenerate implies that there was once it was once in a better state, and it's it's collapsed or dissolved or or gone backwards. It's not really the case for these two. They are um, their their whole relationship really has been was was characterized by mistakes and ill feeling. And to be honest, the first mistake was probably that these two should never have got married in the first place. They were not well suited. Now, obviously, arranged marriages was still the norm at this stage perhaps not to quite the extent that it was in medieval or Tudor times, but it's still for royalty uh, an expectation. Um, But these two really were a bad match. It is surprising that people closer to them didn't perhaps see that in advance. So so Caroline was the daughter of the Duke of uh, Brunswick, which is basically a mid-ranking German duchy. As we know, Germany is not federated in in it till, till much later so these were independent or independent or quasi-independent nation states really um and brunswick's a, not in the premier league of them no it's but it's not but it's not like a it, it's not like um she, she's she's of a higher status than a prince albert you know in, in the reign of queen victoria for example she's from a um, she's she's not it's not Coburg it's you know we're we're looking at higher higher division so than that wasn't
1: wasn't he referred to as a prince of two acres and a wood
0: well exactly exactly so she's it's not she's she's in a much higher league than that um uh, but her mother um was George the third's sister and favourite sister of that so that of course makes the couple in question first cousins which is really yeah. but. You know, as we They're know, they so
1: Victorian Albert, weren't they? So,
0: with Victorian and Albert, and people are happy to overlook that bit for the romantic, for the romance that the story offers us. So, yes, it clearly can work. um George the third wants his reckless son to settle down, get married, which is reasonable. Obviously, if nothing else, they've got to secure the succession. But even without that, that's what his he believed would lead his son into a happier life of being a more successful Prince of Wales and ultimately a better king. And he wanted him to marry a sensible woman. And to George III, that meant Protestant. It meant princess, and it probably meant German. And given he was so fond of his sister uh, Caroline, who was was getting on a bit um, by the standards of the day, she's twenty seven when she marries, which is oh, you know, which is older now, older then than it is now. If you see what I mean. Um, and it might be because there are rumours about her past, even at that age, that was deterring some husbands. Who knows? It's very difficult to separate fact from fiction it when it comes to more this more kind of, of gossip. Yes, quite possibly, and um, or maybe a woman with just quite a quite a coarse sense of humour, which may have backfired on her. It, it is possible that it's not a, a great deal more than that george the fourth the future george the fourth let's call him the prince of wales for the moment because that's what he was he agrees to it not because for any other reason really than because he's in debt he's often in debt and he wants parliament to give him more money to grant him more money and they are also of the same opinion of his father that he would be a more worthy candidate as a solvent, worthy prince worth investing in, if he had a sensible wife as well. So it's kind of it's kind of a deal. And that's why and that's how um the marriage happens. And it does not start off well at any stage at, at no point is it good.
1: Okay. Now I'm not going to defend George IV or Prince of Wales as he was then. And I think that throughout this, we're going to see that he's not exactly the nicest of people. And I I don't want to try and defend the indefensible. But I must say, I do have a degree of sympathy, a modicum of sympathy for him here, because surely he was already in love with somebody else, with Mrs Fitzherbert. Well, yes.
0: Um, So... Basically, arguably, not just in love, <laughs> but arguably the Prince of Wales is already married.
1: In love or in uh, lust with her.
0: <laughs> well, yes, and married to a woman called Maria Fitzherbert, um, because he he was in love with this woman, and he had a, a, a marriage ceremony, um, properly officiated. Um, but because of the Royals, Royal Marriages Act, that wedding wasn't recognised by law, or at least not recognised by law in Britain.
1: So, should we just for those of us who aren't necessarily aware of it, should we explain the Royal Marriages Act? Yeah, that's good idea. Do, do you want to do it? I'll, I'll, I'll go. I'll go and give it a go. So, uh, the Royal Marriages Act was passed in seventeen seventy two, and it was it was brought about because George the two brothers um, had made marriages which he considered were were inappropriate. So there was first um, Henry, Duke of Cumberland, mm. uh, and then also um, William, uh, Duke of Gloucester. Um, and they'd had marriages which had been performed in secret been married, and they were married to commoners. And so George III was not best pleased at this, shall we say. And so therefore Parliament passed an act that all of the legitimate descendants of George II would have to get permission from the sovereign in order to get married. In order for that marriage to be legitimate, for it to be legally recognized in the United Kingdom, Mm -hmm. they had to get that uh, permission from the sovereign. And that has been applied throughout uh, the centuries since then. And so until very recently, in fact, anyone who was a descendant of George II would have to ask for permission. So even though the, the Hanoverian Um, Mm. royal family had lost their throne and were deprived of their British titles in 1917 under the Edict of of Mm. George V, they would still petition the monarch for Mm. permission to marry. Uh, And so that was, and that, again, as I say, was until very recently, until uh, 2016, because the succession to the Crown Act based on the Perth Agreement at the Commonwealth Heads Mm. of Government meeting in 2011 removed this and so it is now only the first six in line of succession who have to get the permission of the king in order to marry so that would mean obviously prince william is already married yes. as is prince harry so really it would be um william's children
2: mm, mm. when
1: they uh when they are old enough and they marry that will be largely affected by the terms of that and, act.
0: and and i suppose just thinking about the royal marriages act to put it in in minds for To to put it in context, in the minds of listeners, particularly those who may be fans of the Crown, the the most high-profile victim, if you like, of the Royal Marriages Act in anything resembling recent times would be Princess Margaret, wouldn't it?
1: Yes, it would. um, Because, well, yeah, it it wouldn't, it wouldn't, in the sense that she was given, because she didn't actually get to the stage where she was going to Ah. ask for permission, but it was made clear to her that if she did, Uh, if she was going to marry Peter Townsend Mm. in 1955, that she wouldn't be given permission. Mm. That the prime minister was Anthony Eden at the time, and um, who, we must remember, was was in fact divorced himself, Mm. um, had had made it clear to the Queen that the government would not be in favour, neither would the the governments of the Commonwealth nations, would Mm. not be in favour of Princess Margaret being allowed to marry. And so when this was made clear to her, then that, I think, had coloured her decision to then decide not to marry him. I'm not saying that was the entire reason because I think she discussed it with Peter Townsend and and she discussed it with the Archbishop of Canterbury because there was that uh, quite infamous evening when she'd apparently gone to, to see the Archbishop of Canterbury and said, you can put away your books. Uh, archbishop because the decision was, was already made mm. but yes she would be the, the most high profile person who it was made clear that if she were to go ahead with that marriage it wouldn't be recognized she would not get the permission it would not mm. be recognized under the terms of the royal marriages act and it would be in effect even though we don't actually have such a thing under uh, under british law it would be in effect a morganatic marriage mm. But, mm. It, but it would not have been legally recognised and also it's question about the questionable for where she could have married because that's mm. also why it's surprising that um, because I was in I was in Windsor um, at Easter and I went on tour of the Guildhall and so part of the the tour you get to see the room where the current king and queen were married in 2005 mm. but it was always thought that under the terms of the Royal Marriages Act that members of the royal family were not allowed to marry in civil ceremonies
2: oh in interesting uh, and-
1: Yeah. And so that's why when the Princess Royal married Sir Timothy Lawrence, Mm. that their wedding took place in Scotland and even members of the royal family who are not so so high profile. So the current, um, well, this is not under the Royal Marriages Act actually, this is under the the Act of Succession where they were not allowed to marry uh, Roman Catholics. But Mm. um, So the current Duke of Kent's son, the Earl of St Andrews, Married a Canadian divorcee who happens also to be. Um, Catholic. Right. So they they married in Scotland because they weren't right, right. married in in. Uh, they couldn't marry in, in church in England because uh, because she had previously been divorced mm. and they couldn't marry in civil in civil sorry, in England either. So that's why they they got married in Scotland. But of course, so that's why when when the current king and queen got married, and married in a civil ceremony. Mm. That's why it was surprising that it was in England, given that previously members of the royal family who had married divorcees had previously had to get mm. married in elsewhere. And that's why that was... that is interesting, isn't mm. it? I wonder why they didn't just get married in Scotland. Presumably, they they wanted to be in in Windsor. I mean, it, mm. they could easily have arranged it in Balmoral. Um, yeah, presumably it's at uh, Crathie, like the Princess Royal. Although perhaps the fact that he is now um supreme governor of the church of england might have affected that i don't know i mean that's that's just speculation mm. but we don't know what the motivation was for their marriage to take place there but that's that's certainly mm. part of the the issue that they would have had to have had the permission uh, in order to marry uh, and mm. everything so
0: okay well that that shows the power of this act and how it how at times it's been more, more liberally interpreted than others but for the case of poor old george prince of wales the future george IV, as far as anyone that mattered in for in the 1780s and 90s mattered he was not married and there was therefore free to marry um caroline he i don't think we should feel too sorry for him in terms of had he had to give up the woman he really loved in order to have this arranged man foisted upon him because uh, by this point he's more or less already abandoned his common or wife or unofficial wife or whatever you or unrecognized wife oh, and he's yeah. more or less i know well quite and he's more or less shacked up with another woman um lady jersey i mean there's different ways of looking at his la- relationship with lady jersey it could be that he still considered mrs fitzherbert his wife but you know if you've got a wife you could then have a mistress so that 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 paradise so in that sense he he could be having a liaison with lady jersey who he kept very close to in the household without necessarily having abandoned his wife if you see what i mean but because she wasn't regarded as his wife it's it's difficult to see quite how that paradigm works but anyway caroline i don't know how much she knew about this when she um first arrived in england but she is there as a chosen a chosen wife i must say I, I need to keep i need to start saying britain and not england because i'm just still in a late medieval early tudor mindset where we'd say england and ever britain because you don't want to annoy the scots who of course do not share that chapter of our history um but now we can say britain and i i believe in britain and i will say britain from now on um yeah so she arrives we don't know how much of the history she knows about what we know is that it does not go well
1: no, and um, she, but Caroline did certainly find out about Lady Jersey quickly. Afterwards. Oh, yes, she, yes, she, yes, 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 yeah. She was forced to you know, attend the same social... Fun- Lady Jersey was in attendance on her. It, she There was no getting yeah. away from her.
0: Oh, he basically puts Lady Jersey in a crucial role in, in the new Princess of Wales's household. It's almost like she's her... It's almost like Lady Jersey is the princess's captor or jailer. Or almost, or at least spy. Um,
1: well, I was yeah. going to be more polite and say her duenna, but yes, it's it is. Yeah, it is like that, isn't it?
0: It it is. So oh, she so she certainly becomes aware of it straight away. But by this point, the prince and princess have already decided they don't really like each other.
1: Well, no. Now, to be fair, because uh, I do like to be fair and balanced, you do, yeah. Um, Caroline didn't exactly make a great impression either, no. did she? Um, because a, a according to the man that had escorted her to Britain, she was she was very brash, she was unhygienic, she had loose morals. Was that fair?
0: Um, the Yes, I mean this is where I knew more about social customs in terms of washing and stuff like that because it could be that, and I don't know, perhaps someone could come in and tell us, it does seem to be more than one source that talks about her being unhygienic. Yeah. So it's not just Something that the prince um complains about, so it could and and they do go into detail as well in terms yes. of not washing regularly, not washing her clothes regularly. And it could be that there's just different practices and stand. Not, I don't mean standards as in they've got lower standards. Just th- there's different expectations potentially. Different customs. Yes, in 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 where, where she goes. And I just don't know whether that's true or not. So maybe someone can mention it in in some sort of comment if if they know. But that does seem to be fair. I think it's also fair to say that she was a brash, lively personality, hmm. probably had a bit of a wicked sense of humour that wasn't necessarily perfect for court life, although she wouldn't have been unique in having had that kind of humour. She does seem to have joked quite a lot and things are quite risque jokes which maybe will go into trouble at various points. In terms of loose morals, it's quite difficult to know. I mean, basically... Um, we there were rumors that she had given birth to an illegitimate child as a teenager and obviously if that was true then that couldn't have been too widely known because i don't think she would have been considered a credible candidate for the wife of the prince of wales and i don't know at what point those rumors begun or whether they were known at all in england in britain in 1795 um but it could also be their sense of humor gets her in trouble. So we know that on one episode when she was a teenager, she was really cross with her parents for not letting her go to or sending her home from a big dance and event. And she basically convinced them she was in labor and they had said for a midwife as a sort of ruse to kind of, you know, get back at them. A stroke make the point that she's capable of looking after herself and she's not just, you know, uh, so that's quite a dangerous, risky, risque joke. For yes. a princess, for a, pot- a Protestant princess, it's quite oh, quite shocking, really, isn't it? Very shocking, you know, sort of in the 1780s.
1: So I think it'd be shocking today if we, you know if you found a princess suddenly uh, suddenly claiming to be in in labor. Yes. it would be that you know that'd be shocking even now. And um, just before we move on, I mean, she she's also got a reputation for as well as being unhygienic. She's also got quite a reputation for being quite uncouth as well.
0: doesn't Yes, it? very very. Yeah. And she does. And, and that's partly what may, may have caused not later. I think later we have to be a bit more realistic about what she was probably doing, but earlier, because yeah, again, people that meet her early on in British people that meet her early on say she is of loose morals. And it could be that the sorts of jokes she's happy to make would be, would make the, well, she must put her money where her mouth is. And she may not have been. It could just be a core sense of humour.
1: But if she was a disappointment, so was he. I mean, she was no fan of his. Um, Didn't she say that he was was much fatter than his portrait uh, and that he was generally unpleasant?
0: It was pretty much hate on first sight for both of them. That's what they agreed on. They agreed, or their mutual. They dislike. agreed on something. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But they got married, um, and the prince. I mean, you all have heard the accounts of the wedding day. The prince was apparently drunk throughout it. Um, although Did interesting, he get healing, up and
1: walk around, and had to yes. be escorted back to his place by the by the king.
0: The first time they met, apparently he just he basically said, "I need a brandy," <laughs> and so had to get him one. So he obviously felt he needed a bit of dutch courage to get through the day or to be (laughs) anesthetized quite quite so i mean we've all been there haven't we but it it's not the best strategy and at his age he should have known better than that however he can't have been that drunk because he would later claim that during their whole marriage they only slept together three times and that two of those occasions were on the wedding night so it can't mean that bad um well, when we say to, that
1: bad, not that drunk.
0: Yes. With, <laughs> yeah, without without wanting to sort of, you know, create too many unpleasant images in the mind of listeners. You know, he often, if a gentleman has been drinking all day to excess, that would be an unrealistic expectation, shall we say, by so the he was time he's in
1: control of his faculties enough to be able to perform? Is that that's what, essentially what we're saying? Yeah. And and, and remember twice. it. And remember it twice. I'd remember yeah. it. Um, right, but but counts differ though, don't they? Because because there's also we also hear that he was drunk in the gutter all night. Yes, we do, and that's from obviously from from from
0: Caroline's perspective. But of course, those those two aren't necessarily completely mutually exclusive. No. Um, no, and of course Princess Charlotte does pop up quite quickly. Their their child.
1: Yes. So does that mean that she was a wedding night conception?
0: Well, she could well have been because um, there weren't many other opportunities for her. I mean, it's interesting because we've this is actually the second if it was the case that she was a wedding night um, conception, then she's the second wedding night conception we've talked about in this series. Because in the first episode, we talked about how Prince Arthur was probably a wedding night conception. As well, I have
1: already bought your book. I promise.
0: (laughs) I even sold a copy to somebody else. It was relevant. I made the point only because it was relevant. But it is true that Prince Arthur was probably a wedding night conception. Well, that's that's
1: that's if he hadn't been conceived before, of course. He
0: had not been conceived before. And you could you could hear more about this in episode one, and you could read more about it in my forthcoming book, Arthur, Prince of Wales, Henry VIII's Lost Brother, available for pre order now. Anyway, sorry, I'll carry on. So they separate quite soon after. So Princess Charlotte is born in January of 1796. They've not been married very long at this point. And they separate almost immediately afterward. Really, by from what I can tell, from a mutual decision. They just recognize there's no merit in trying to live together anymore. Caroline basically rents an old vicarage in Blackheath mm. and begins a life. Where scandal soon emanates from.
1: Oh, good heavens! So she's hosting parties, she's entertaining. I mean, there's nothing improper about that in itself. But there were a lot of there were an awful lot of men around, weren't there? Uh, including high-profile politicians, and they were all rumored, or a lot of them were rumored to be her lovers.
0: Yes, were they and, just
1: rumors? Well, they might be. I mean, the
0: thing with Caroline is, it's not wrong that she holds court. You know, that is what royalty do. And actually, if she is holding court, it sounds like she's having the the right people because she's entertaining Whigs and Tories. Now that is what you're meant to do. So in one sense, there could be a it could be that there's a degree of um of political savvy about what she's doing. But yes, rumors do crop up that some of these men are her lovers. Now, whenever politicians are accused of things by their opponents that we have to apply that hermeneutic of suspicion um so we have to be a bit careful about that but effectively the real scandal comes when her next door neighbor lady douglas who she doesn't seem to get on particularly well with basically reports her for having not just committed adultery but to um to to have born an illeg, an illegitimate child, and and she reports she reports Caroline for that,
1: and so what happens then? I mean, surely that's something that you can't just ignore. Something on yeah. that scale, you, it, it's one thing that there are that she's alleged to have had several male mm. close friends. Let's be euphemistic and say, yeah. but quite another if she's actually born at least one illegitimate child. So yeah, how so how absolutely. do how how do how does the palace react? So the palace
0: can't ignore this. So they set up an investigation known as the delicate investigation. Um <laughs> to get <laughs> That's a
1: euphemism if ever I heard one.
0: Well quite, quite to get to the root of the issue. And um at this point Caroline is starting to make friends who are who who can give her a bit more political support. So she finds a defender in the form of a chap called Henry Brogham, who at this point, I believe is still an MP. He's a Whig politician and lawyer. He later becomes a peer. And he is a staunch defender of Caroline during this process.
1: Well, she needs one defender. But uh, but surely that is, on her part, Gets means that she's being dragged into the political sphere. Well, possibly,
0: yes, because um, Brogham is, is, is a leading player in radical reformist politics, and we won't necessarily go into all of that um, now. But as people who know anything about this era will come, in the years to come, not quite yet, in the years to come, you'll see the Great Reform Act, you will see the abolition of slavery, uh, and you will see a big reassessment, If you, to use slightly pretentious language, of Britain's social contract yeah um and and he's a he's at the forefront of much of this what happens and i don't know how much this was intentional on his part or how much it's coincidental because of the association is she effectively becomes seen as an advocate for that radical reformist political position as opposed to a husband who is seen as a resister of that so that means she gains an incredible amount of public support
1: and goodwill So is that is that justified that public support and goodwill is that is it because she is actually supporting that cause or is it simply at, at George's expense because he's seen not to be so she's assumed to be
0: i a bit of a bit of both i think so I, so first of all i think it's i think her vindication in the whole delicate investigation is justified because they don't find that
1: she I, has. I feel like we shouldn't an, actually be saying it. I feel like
0: we should be saying. It. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm not a prude. Um, <laughs> so, uh, she is. So they basically seem to establish quite well that the that there's that this child um is not, uh, not her not a child. The mother of the child in question. Because I should say as well, and I haven't said this. Caroline seems to have a bit of an unspent maternal instinct, so she doesn't. Uh, she doesn't get to see princess charlotte very often and she takes in lots of waifs and strays and either gets them adopted out to people she knows in her network or she provides a home for them and that's partly how well one, one of these ch- children comes along tiny baby that she takes in doing a good thing that's partly where the illegitimacy rumor comes from it may also be going back to this core sense of humor i have read in books that there is some speculation that she's playing a practical joke on lady douglas by right. saying it's her baby because she did have this very risque coarse sense of humor and the, that joke really backs fire on, backfires on her but anyway the delicate investigators um speak to the mother of the birth the biological mother of who of, of this child they speak to the servants the servants all support caroline they say there's no evidence of any wrongdoing And that's either because the servants close rank with Caroline, which would be a testament to the loyalty they have to her, or because it's true. So either way, I think she comes out of that quite well. And they basically say she's really brash and awful and coarse and she shouldn't be and it's terrible and very inappropriate, but there's no actual evidence of adultery. And when you bear in mind that... A bit of
1: a backhanded compliment.
0: Yeah. But you bear in mind that, again, compare this to Tudor times where... If Saul was went off to investigate the behaviour of a woman, that woman's never going to come out of it well. Um, we have moved on a bit, not necessarily a lot, but there, there seems to be a bit more of a commitment. And, of course, we'll come on to talk about this. Although the Prince of Wales wanted to find evidence that would enable him to divorce the princess, the king does not. And we can come back to that a bit. So that might have been helping sway the the, the persuasions of the delicate investigators. Um, And anyway, so but to go back to your question on political reform, I don't think Caroline was ever personally committed to radical reform per se, certainly when it isn't working in her favour. There's no real evidence of her furthering any aspect of it, but she becomes a convenient figure. And there's going to be far more of this later on that we're talking about. And she could be positioned that way very effectively.
1: So she's in effect a little bit of a show pony
0: yes or i mean that may be a little bit unfair it may be that others have a have evidence of of real strong political conviction but if they do it's wavering it's not something she consistently holds to throughout a long a long period of time she's a figurehead i suppose i mean some of the parallels here again with the prince and princess of wales of the 80s and 90s i mean diana and landmines who did some good work by giving her support to causes but i think in the case of diana at that point, that was more altruistic than probably any support Caroline was giving radical reformists thought was mm-hmm. in at this in at this juncture.
1: So, two hundred years before Charles and Diana, we have another war of the Waleses, and indeed somebody else who is being considered the people's princess.
0: Basically, yes.
1: Um, and it wasn't really till I was researching this that I thought those parallels were were so stark. But
0: it really is like a wars of the rails is because you've got now that she's got Henry Brogman, um, sorry, Henry Brogham on side, she's got a really clever and powerful um, lieutenant. So when the region or no, he's not the region yet. Sorry, the Prince of Wales is briefing against her, trying to get stories about her in the newspapers. Henry Brogan's doing the same back, and he's trying to get stories about Mrs. Fitzherbert in the newspapers, which is exactly like what supporters of the Prince and Princess of Wales were doing in the late eighties and early nineties. So those parallels are shockingly similar. Um, And she was the People's Princess; she had popularity, a growing popularity with a very with with a large segment of the population, Mm. an uninfluential. segment of the population in terms of political power but considerable by number
1: mm. and i suppose there you've got the you know the um historical analogy with with catherine of aragon who was at the time of the the great matter was immensely popular with the people but mm. they those people didn't hold any political sway were not able to influence the king or influence parliament uh, effectively um and so you know arguably didn't really help her cause
0: no but the difference is now as i say we're on the cusp of the great reform act we're on the cusp of the abolition of slavery times are changing things are stirring and these the people that are well we must say there is a there is a faction of the political class tories not Tories, sorry um peers and um commons who are of this radical uh, reformist zeal so they matter but then the, the the populace in the in the country that for relatively obvious reasons support it are also um starting well are they saying are they starting to matter they're starting to start to matter is perhaps the best way of looking at it not that i consider myself any great expert on the on on the politics of um of the 1800s by any means
1: so it it seems then that Caroline is popular and popular with a certain section of of the populace, but it's really it's not. I would be struggling to understand why she is why she is personally popular because if she is uncouth, she's unhygienic, she's mm. very brash, she's making all these coarse jokes. Okay, some of that might be amusing, but it would probably wear a bit thin. So you know, there's very little, really, in her to to recommend herself. It's more because she's associating with the right people to become popular, and I, and also because the the Prince of Wales is personally unpopular. I think so I think, I think you're being a bit people. harsh.
0: I think you're being a bit harsh. And um, and I will be the voice of fairness for a change. Um, we'll we'll do a role reversal. I think she. So of course, in terms of some of the population they won't just won't see these negative aspects of her um excuse me because it's they're they're a little bit shielded from it but also i think because she was this lively fun-loving character she did break down barriers a little bit with people and probably would have been seen as a bit of a fresh air by some so not unlike the way the duchess of york was first perceived when she came on the scene in the 80s it was great
1: fun and breaking down barriers and
0: exactly and it that didn't as we know with the Duchess of York that backfired although I think she's done a good job of rebuilding things since then but I think there was a sense that on public appearances and then they didn't have they didn't have the royal walkabout of course as we know that's a much more recent um innovation uh but there was a sense that she was a bit different, a bit more fun, and I think that did help her. So I think there was something about her personal qualities that helped emanate to this cause. But as we shall see when we go to talk about when there's next a major investigation about her, she's almost a cardboard cutout that radical reformists create into this character of reform by literally putting words into her mouth.
1: But we do know that being popular with the people wasn't enough. But she does have another champion, doesn't she?
0: She does. So the King loves her. We don't really know why, but the King is a big fan of hers. Now, when you consider what we know about George III, Farmer George, the family man, the Christian man, why would he like this coarse, brash woman? Which I mean,
1: maybe... It seems to go against his, his character, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, and maybe it should... So first of all, maybe it should give us Pause before just assuming that these accounts of her coarseness and the rest of it are 100 true, or, or at the very least, that was only one side of her. She may have moderated her behaviour with him, but of course we must remember that he loathed his own son. He did not like the Prince of Wales, who was never inclined to take his word on anything or his side of the story. And apparently, and I'm certainly not studied this in detail but apparently he was very close to caroline's mother his favorite sister so he perhaps loved caroline for the sake of his sister
1: and you know as we said that you know he he hated the the prince of wales there's certainly Uh, no love lost between them so that works in caroline's favor presumably
0: i think so i think so so if you know he was probably always inclined to give caroline the benefit of the doubt and he knew i mean george certainly at later stage george prince george was you know having having people spy on caroline and and stuff like that so is that information honestly extracted that's trustworthy so i i I think he he knew that there would be more than one side of the story um but the problem is if your one supporter in the court is declared unfit to rule and loses power you're in trouble so caroline finds in 1811 when george III is declared unfit to rule that she's now on very shaky ground because she hasn't got her protector anymore she may still have some popularity and some men of influence may be supporting her but within the royal court she's now without a protector so the long and short of it is her husband's now in charge king in all but name But, of course, her status doesn't improve. She's not queen at this stage. Um, But she agrees to go to Europe in exchange for £35,000 a year.
1: So she's off in Europe, but more scandal awaits because she's free from the shores of Britain. um, And where does she go? She goes to Italy, doesn't she? Well, she does. She
0: goes all over. She initially goes back to um, Brunswick for a bit, but there's lots of problems there, so she sort of goes all over. But yes, uh, mostly Italy, what we would call Italy,
1: um, and that's where she hires this man, isn't it? Um, Bartolomo Pagani. Very good.
0: I think that's <laughs> how you say it. I don't. I'm not. I'm not great on my pronunciations. Well, nor am I. So I won't attempt it a second well, time. When you learn through reading, you often pronounce stuff wrong, and <laughs> we make fun of people that that mispronounce stuff wrong. It means they've learned it from reading. Yes, clever. We're clever.
1: I could just say, I could just say, I don't chew my cabbages twice. Um, I don't know. But anyway, means, he but yeah. he becomes the, uh, the master of her household, doesn't he? And she's never free from these rumours, <laughs> is she, of adultery? She's not. I mean, there's
0: rumours that they are more than mistress and servant, shall we say. And I think there's probably a little bit well quite a lot more reason to give these rumours credence than other people there does seem to be testimony from servants and other eyewitnesses that they are well certainly they're doing inappropriate things so they eat together like a couple would in public and that is not adultery but it's unwise it's unwise for a married woman and then there are other talks of them being caught in states of undress kissing um there was supposedly um someone who claimed to have been in their service had drawn a map of the sleeping arrangements to show that they basically slept together which apparently was disproved so you know this evidence is not it's always difficult Uh, much of it was obtained relatively surreptitiously but it does seem that the most likely reading of what we have is that they were lovers
1: but it does it does seem that even if even if she were innocent she was somebody who was incredibly unwise or simply didn't care about about propriety about how things looked
0: that's certainly the image that comes down to us again if it was the case that she made this joke to lady douglas about being pregnant i've even read accounts where they i've even read some accounts where and, and I'm only hesitating because I haven't read them recently, so I can't remember what evidence was offered for how these were substantiated. But she even sort of did things like stuff a cushion up a dress, kind of things, in front of Lady Douglas to try and get her tongue wagging, and then like the next day appeared with the baby, kind of thing. And and so there's that she's a real wind up merchant. I'm seeing a theme emerging way. here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's tricky. I think the reason I'm being because you know I'm not normally so on the fence about stuff. Um, but one of the reasons I've been cautious is her husband works so hard to discredit her in terms of all the evidence. He he pays spies to gather um, and, and draws together, gets lawyers to pour over. But I'm just so mindful that so much of what comes down to us was obtained with a very clear agenda in mind. Yeah. That said, some of it is verified by contemporary news reports on the continent. So there are other sources that support aspects of it.
1: Well, I think it's difficult not to have some sympathy for her because she's she's here. She's been rejected by her husband, although that's mutual. But she's you know she's living apart. She is a woman of note. Uh, she's alone. She she faces all of these rumors she has she's constantly being spied upon. i mean she can't have had an easy existence so you know i feel sorry for her for for that but i suppose where my my patience is tested a bit is simply the fact that she seems to give those rumors enough credence for them to be believable Mm, because mm. she she appears in states of undress she appears in places where it's unwise for her to be and with people it's unwise for her to be so mm. it, it's as though she either was just very very naive or she just thought well I'm, i might as well be hung as a sheep as a lamb I, I think there probably was a bit of that
0: um yeah i don't know because she she it might be that because she'd always lived with these rumors in one way or another and what we have to remember, this is the Regency period. It's not It's not a time. It's not Victorian England. No. You know, it's not a time when everyone was pretending to live with these extravagantly high morals, which isn't to say um, it was Dante's Inferno either. Mm. Um, but it's not like... And, and her husband had very, very little grounds <laughs> to lecture
1: No, her. I mean, no. And in fairness, we must say that, uh, you know, as well as... Mrs. Fitzherbert, Lady Joseph, he did have a string of lovers himself. You know, he was hardly a model of, of propriety himself. No,
0: no. And this was a time when when royal men and even royal women, to some extent, had more skeletons in their closet. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a degree of that. And she may have just seen that all these rumours, because she'd always lived with them, had never really affected her popularity. So all her support from some of the people around her. But yeah, we don't know. We don't know whether she was naïve bit silly or very clever with it and just decided she was going to do what what she wanted to do and we don't know um so but i i I would say she certainly regardless of the truth in the rumors she could certainly could have taken steps to quiet them down yeah and dampen them down if that had been her priority
1: Mm, mm. but now of course this scandal and, and such misadventures they can't go on forever. And by the time George IV becomes king in January 1820, Caroline then wants to come back to Britain and claim her place, what she sees as her rightful place, mm. as queen. But unfortunately, George doesn't agree. He, I know he
0: he does not. I mean, what we've got to remember is that sadly, by this point, their daughter, Princess Charlotte, has died. Yes. She dies in 1817. Mm. So had she lived caroline's strategy may have been i'm not gonna rock the boat too much with my husband and his reign but hopefully he'll die quickly charlotte will become queen and then i can return in style as a queen mother and i've got a future it's worth it's worth. i mean she wasn't behaving herself but she wasn't in england in britain causing trouble so it's kind of like yeah there's there's a reason to stay away and not not you know rock the apple not cart the too road. much
2: yes
0: once charlotte's gone and there there's not really any reason for her to do that it's now or never she either comes back as queen or she can't go back at all and she's coming back that's you know, that's that's what she wants to do and knowing that she had some popularity must have meant that the new king george the fourth was, was quaking in his boots a little bit
1: and she's kept that popularity even though she's been on the continent all these all these years
0: yes she has and we see that when she comes back there's riots in her favor
1: but george isn't exactly keen to acknowledge her though is he um because he strikes her in the prayers that are written um Mm. at the beginning of the reign you know because we always have the state prayers for the royal family um she's kept out of them her name doesn't appear Um, and even when she's in italy he asks the pope not to receive her as as queen he's he does not want her to be known, no. seen, heard at all.
0: No, I mean, it's a big deal being struck out of the liturgical prayers. I mean, I'm not an Anglican, and but you will know every week in church the standard prayers for the royal family.
1: Well, I, I mean, I'd be surprised that many churches actually do read them every week. But certainly, and if they you not? are in a church that has uh, services to the Book of Common Prayer, so 1662, mm-hmm. then if you have either morning or evening prayer, the matins or evening prayer, or even song, depending if it's song, you will have those prayers for, oh Lord, save the king and um, bless his ministers with righteousness and all of that. And then there are the, the prayers for the royal family, which you then have in full. And it does name certain members of the royal family. So it's not it's not every member of the royal yeah. family, but it's usually uh, the sovereign, the consort, the heir, and the heir's Right, but generally, wife Because so at so the moment women.
0: they would pray for the king of the queen of uh, the prince and princess of Wales,
1: yeah. That's right, yes. So, and be any, any uh, when the queen mother was alive, she would be prayed for, yes, and, yeah, you know. So, any uh, and so later in Queen Victoria's reign, they still pray for Queen Adelaide as queen dowager, yes. Right? So, they probably pray for fossils? yeah,
0: for the queen, the queen dowager, they're sort of the queen, the prince consort, of the queen dowager. The Prince of Wales, the Prince of Wales, and all other members of the royal family, yes. or something. Yes, because I remember it was a big deal in the nineties when post-divorce D- Diana got dropped from the prayers.
1: Yes, yes, I'm old enough just to remember that because yes. it did say the Prince and Princess of Wales. Yeah, and then it was changed to simply, Charles, Charles, Charles Prince Charles Prince
0: of Wales. Of Wales. Yeah, because
1: yeah, yeah. I, I I remember when I was confirmed, I was given a a a prayer book as a as a confirmation present, uh, and that was when they were still together, and it was the the Prince right. Princess of Wales in it.
0: And did they when Camilla married? Did they change? Was it the Prince of Wales and the Duchess
1: of Cornwall? No, it wasn't. It was just left as the Prince of Wales. But she really? is added in now, of course. So, um, and also the way in which they have worded the um, the Prince and Princess of Wales is rather odd because they've, they've William Prince of Wales and, and the Princess of Wales rather than simply the Prince and Princess of Wales. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, um, that's strange. That a bit odd, the way in which strange. They've been in it. But who am I to question the uh, the liturgical commission that would do that?
0: Well, I'll question him. I mean, I, I mean, but it's quite a big. Di- how he got her struck off? Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you feel about your life. But under the, you know, under the law of England and Wales, which is what they were married under, mm. the the wife of a king is a queen. <laughs> and, under, and 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 are you playing God's law? Yeah, yeah, and certainly that would have been presumably important to whoever was saying the the prayers. So it was quite a mean feat, but maybe out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, she she comes back. So she but she's not she's not going to be eradicated. She's not going to go quietly. She turns up in England. There's a riot in her support. Um, she's staying where she is. They are they offer her fifty grand a year. So that's quite a bit more than she was getting. And what she was getting wasn't quite enough for her lifestyle. Um, so they offer a bit more. And they might have thought, oh that's why she's doing it. You know, she'll see if she can Top up me. the old and you know, annuity and off she goes. And but she says, no, 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 not having that. I mean, I have read in some places that actually she would have been open to divorce, except that they didn't have like a no fault divorce then. So it had to be the husband had to sue the wife for adultery. And I don't think she could sue him for adultery because I don't think that mattered. So and she basically wouldn't have that. So which I can understand. So, divorce, as far as she was concerned, wasn't an option.
1: And no, and I, I think you know until and I'm not sure about this period, but uh, certainly in the Victorian Edwardian period, a woman could only divorce her husband for was it um, adultery coupled with cruelty, or adultery with desertion, or you yeah, know, the, the options were very very yeah. few uh, for women in in that period. Um, but let me guess. George then wants to divorce her again. Um, And so is that when he launches the Milan Commission, when he wants to get more evidence against her to to prove... Right.
0: That's exactly right. Yeah. So he basically says, launch the Milan Commission to get evidence against her. Um, Milan obviously being rooted to where some of these crimes may or may not have taken place. And he's like, I just want her divorced. I don't care how we do it, but we've got to do it. And basically, for all kinds of reasons um just going through the courts is not going to work primarily probably because it's going to drag up all kinds of questions about his antics as well bring back all the stories of mrs fitzherbert of 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 everything else and that's going to be humiliating the church of england were dead against you know the idea of that kind of divorce for the man that's now meant to be the supreme governor and it also they were not by any means sure they had the evidence to secure it and that again should give us a bit of pause to think mm, this evidence if they weren't if they weren't sure it was court ready how 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 quick should we be to convict Caroline or Thing. I mean it's interesting some historians do say yet yeah, for all kinds of reasons it might not stand up in court but we really as historians we can be quite clear that the different sources that say the same things she she was guilty of adultery or she had had relationships with other men maybe maybe guilty of adultery is quite a loaded values driven term but she had had sexual relationships with men that weren't her husband but uh you know i i'd have to defer to them on that there are different does seem that there's different opinions around but anyway so he decides okay we can't go through the courts that's fine i'm going to get a divorce put through parliament
1: so in turning to Parliament, I mean, that's rather like Henry VIII, isn't it? And when he launched his um, bid against Catherine of Aragon.
0: Yes, Henry VIII, brother of the often forgotten prince, Arthur Tudor, who... Um...
1: <laughs> not, not forgotten by you, evidently.
0: No, no. Sorry. Yes, yes. Available for pre-order. Um <laughs> so a bill is i have a- already bought it i promise you Yep. Yeah, well, i hope other people other than you and me are actually listening to this i appreciate <laughs> it is quite possible that this is just uh <laughs> you know we didn't need to record this it's just because it's been a phone conversation but i hope other people are listening as well and we'll consider pre-ordering the book by gareth streeter um anyway so What's the it called of-
1: again? just for anybody who missed it
0: oh arthur prince of wales henry the um What's it called? <laughs> <laughs> Henry VIII's lost brother. I can remember that now. Do you know, when I first um, posted about, I first posted the cover up, someone replied saying, uh, actually, he's not lost. He died. I'm like, I mean, I do know he's dead. I, do you know what I mean? It's like, A, they're all dead. And B, I've just written a book about him. I kind of got to the end and found out he died. So it's interesting.
1: interesting Although I must, I must admit, I do have a degree of sympathy for that because I do remember as a child, somebody saying that they'd lost their dog. I'm not laughing because it's funny, but everybody. No, but I thought that they meant that the dog had disappeared, was missing. Mm. And so I said to my dad, Oh, shall we go out and help them look for it? Explain to me that they meant that the dog had died. And so that's that's why I must say I must have some sympathy for that point of view. Yes,
0: but I think the that is because people do say they've lost their dog as in the dogs run away, we can't yes. find him. Yes. So I think I've got more sympathy for you. But anyway, I don't mind when people leave me comments on social media. I love it. I love all feedback, good and bad. Um so, yes, anyway, the pains and penalties bill eighteen twenty is presented to the House of Lords. And as far as the government hope and that George IV hopes this is gonna fly through, get voted on, and becomes and so by law the marriage is dissolved. Caroline is stripped of her title as queen. Um now I must confess, I've not actually read the bill, so I wonder whether it was more like an Henry VIII style annulment, saying marriage should never happen, and whether that would have satisfied the Church of England. I don't know, but I would like—I will at some point dig out the bill and have a read because it'll be interesting to know why the Church was okay with this but not okay with other forms of divorce. Mm. We shall see. We may never know that. Um, but basically, you know how you were saying earlier: to what extent was Caroline? um it really championing radical reform, or to what extent was she just a figure that that kind of was clothed in those in 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 those views. This is where we start to see the construction of Caroline as a figure of radical political reform. Because you've got good old Henry Bergum, who's a peer by this point, and he's leading the defense for her in the house of lords and he puts a very spirited defense actually i only found out when i was reading um up about this ahead of this podcast but he when people are saying uh you're kind of like defending a bit too much don't you think you want to be a bit more even-handed um and he basically comes up with this speech about how it's the job of a lawyer to defend their client and and everyone deserves that and that's now a really big thing apparently for defense lawyers that they look at that speech and it's very inspirational etc cetera, etc cetera. but anyway but around this time it's not just what's going on in Parliament it's what's going on outside of Parliament so these people around her these these Whig ref- radical reformers which is it's like a faction within the Whig party it's not the whole of the Whig party that, that have these views and um they are writing open letters crafting speeches and saying oh she said this and they they almost certainly these words do not derive from her but they're writing them on her behalf and this is when she is becoming like a champion um of reform and to give to give everyone a sense of how they're using what's happening to her to champion reform they these words were composed as being supposedly from her in her own defense and it's it's quite It shows the parallels they're trying to make. I'll read it to you. If the highest subject in the realm can be deprived of her rank and title, can be divorced, dethroned and debased by an act of arbitrary power in the form of a bill of pains and penalties, the constitutional liberty of the kingdom will be shaken to its very base. The rights of the nation will be only a scattered wreck. And this once free people like the meanest of slaves must submit to the lash of the insolent domination." And that's clever, isn't it?
1: It is because it's you know it's in effect saying that you know that um, that if that 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 it's all that it's so ingrained with the fate of the of the nation that um, that it would be in effect an attack on constitutional liberty.
0: Well, it's kind of like saying if the state, the man, the power, will literally take the second most powerful person down what hope do any of you have yeah we need to change the system guys we need representation you need you know we need to be changing who's in in the tent of power and i think it's just brilliant really brilliant and there's such thinkers we had then people that just thought so much about the political dna of the nation and and thought in a philosophical way about how change could be possible i think it was just such a rich time to be alive but you know also bad and there was no toilets and stuff so i mean it wasn't always great
1: (laughs) that's very fair and even yes
0: quite quite but anyway and even then you know it's probably only good to be alive if you're very 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 rich um so anyway um that uh bill narrowly passes the lords narrowly And after that, it's dead in the water because, yes, it's passed the Lords. And just for um, for for any non Brits listening, the way legislation gets passed in the UK is it passed. It has to pass both houses of parliament. And it goes back and forth between them for a while. And um, in these days, it had to pass both Lords and Commons. Today, it only has to pass the Lords, although the uh, sorry, today it only has to pass the Commons, although the Lords can delay for a little bit. But back then, it had to pass both houses and then go to the King for approval. So, not dissimilar to how legislation works in the US and most countries around the world. But anyway, so it passed phase one, but. There was no way they were going to get it through the commons. Obviously, the commons needing to be a little bit more sensitive to the public mood than the lords, because they had an electorate, still a pretty narrow electorate at this stage, but an electorate nonetheless, which the lords did not. So they knew it was dead in the water. Caroline had won. Her politics, her people, her popularity had carried her through, and she had defeated the will of the king.
1: So coronation day looms she's going she's not invited but she's going so her names so for for george's thinking then it's a case of your name's not down you're not coming
0: in it's a george organizes the coronation there's no role for caroline now as you have pointed out in previous podcasts it is not essential for a queen consort to be crowned
1: no it's not because you know to to take me the eighth again uh, the yes. brother of Prince Arthur. The brother of Prince uh, Arthur, featured subject of a yeah. new extensive page biography. Page turning biography. So, to look at Henry VIII and his wives, because there were more than <laughs> there were more than a couple of wives of Henry. Mm. So, when we looked at the episode with um, Catherine of Aragon, Arthur's first wife, uh, her first husband's Arthur, of course, um, mm. she was crowned with Henry. Anne Boleyn was crowned uh, in a separate coronation. Mm after their marriage, just uh, not long before Elizabeth was born, was it? Because um, to hide her visibly pregnant state, she she had uh, the, the folds of the robes were to hide, uh, to hide the fact that she was great with child, as they would have said in those days. Now, but then the, the tradition, that's the last time, isn't it, that there's a separate coronation for a queen consort. Jane Seymour, mm. there are tentative plans for her coronation, which are delayed... Probably because of the plague, and then then also because of her mm. pregnancy. So, had she not died soon after giving birth to Edward the Sixth, the future Edward the Sixth, she may have been crowned. We mm. don't know because the, the plans will never progress more than that preliminary stage. But of course, his subsequent wives are never crowned, mm. Mm. and there's not a, there's not any real suggestion that any of them that there were ever any plans put in yeah. place that they would. No, be. there's not. So it's not. So it doesn't affect. The notion that the person is is in fact the true queen or the true consort, if she's not crowned. Are there any examples in history of
0: a married king? So he's already married as when he ascends, hmm. being crowned without his queen.
1: Charles the First and Henrietta Maria. Okay, she wouldn't, she wouldn't accept an Anglican rite. Oh. So- So, of course, she was French Catholic. Mm. She wouldn't accept Anglican rights, so he was crowned alone. But funnily enough, um, their second son, James II, was married to Mary of Modena, his second wife, at Mm. the time that he becomes king and at the time of the coronation. And I always remember reading that when they were crowned, because, of course, he was he was Catholic, he refused to join in with the responses because he objected to the Anglican right. Yet he saw that he needed to go through a coronation. But yet she was she was supposed to have joined in. Oh, And so I always wondered how that would that would affect things Mm. um, between them. So. Yeah, so that that's the only Charles the First and Henry H. And Maria is the only example that I can think of off the top of my head. Somebody may think may find another one, but I, that's the only one that mm. I can think of where a king had been crowned and was was married mm. at the time of his crowning, and yeah. the queen consort was not crowned at the same so time. So
0: in that case, George IV, Fourth, by excluding Caroline, is more or less acting without precedent, although. Oh. More or less, although perhaps and maybe they did. I don't know, but maybe you could have harked back to Charles the First as as an example of a but,
1: but the difference there, of course, was that Henrietta Maria didn't want to take part in that. Yes. Right? It was it was at her, not necessarily her choice, but uh, but certainly at her with her agreement that she wouldn't yeah. be because she didn't yeah. want it. She didn't recognise it. Whereas, of course, here. Caroline is very willing to turn up, as we will see. She, and is she very willing be. to
0: turn up. She does turn up. And I have to say, I've always sort of wondered, why does she do it? Why, why would you risk the humiliation of turning up and not getting in? And partly, no doubt, she thought strength of personality would just force her in. Who is going to say no to the Queen when it really comes to it? But I think also having looked at things in the sequence of events that I have as as we were getting ready for this, I can see that she thought she was riding a popular wave. Mm. She just sort of defeated um the the um the uh, well an act of parliament against her a bill against her she'd seen off the divorce she'd defeated the king the government she probably thought I can easily get into the coronation uh, one mistake I think she probably made is her, her 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 reformist supporters, as in the the big clever Whig men who'd helped her very much defeat that bill, they didn't think she was doing the right thing no. in, in turning up at the coronation. So I wonder if she maybe didn't realise quite how much she needed the sound judgment of people like that. Mm. I don't know. Mm. But I can see now more why she thought she was going to get away with it.
1: Although, on a on a purely practical note, it's rather foolhardy, isn't it? Because there wouldn't have been a, a chair of estate for her. There wouldn't have been a crown mm. for her. The, um, the consort's regalia wouldn't be, wouldn't have been brought from the tower for her because they were not planning mm. for her to be there. So if she turned up, she might, she may have been there, but she wouldn't have been crowned because there'd have been no crown to put on her head.
0: Right. So, but I don't know how much she does. No, she's, she's definitely not a stupid woman. No, but I think she might be one of those people who only thinks about certain things. You know, how could have quite clever people who just don't think about whole aspects of life and think it through that logically. Like I say, she was acting without mm. advice, not just without advice. She was acting outside of advice in doing this. So maybe that she hadn't fully processed all of that. She would of course never be, have been to a British coronation. Before.
1: No, no. And I, I mean, I don't want to be unfair on her saying that, but what I mean is that, um, although it's humiliating for her not to be invited, and of course it's extremely humiliating, mm. There would also be a degree of humiliation to have turned up, yeah, and not have a seat, not have a crown, not have yeah. any trucellia. <laughs> she by turning up, she's she's not eliminating the humiliation. So yeah, yeah. there was a secret deal that we know of where the the church had collu- and the ministers of state had mm. colluded to provide all of these things against the king's will so mm. it would have been a degree of humiliation because she she would have turned up and she wouldn't have been received or wouldn't have received the correct mm. form uh to be crowned so that's that's where yeah. i think it's slightly less wise um to not particularly not to cause a scene because i can mm. see why she was popular and why she would do that but then on a practical level where do you go from there mm. once you're inside
0: i wonder whether she i mean i don't you know more than i do about the preparations for george the fourth's coronation because it was a pretty extravagant one
1: wasn't it it wasn't extremely extravagant i mean it's the most i mean i don't say bankrupt to the nation but it certainly was the the most expensive of coronations um that we that we know of i mean it was they spent two hundred and forty thousand pounds on george the fourth's coronation so that is and it's difficult to give figures but the equivalent mm. is roughly 13.7 million in terms a lot of money and and so if you then come contra- and and this is the last coronation where there's the um the procession from the tower where there is the Uh, coronation banquet held at Westminster Mm -hmm. Hall, where the champion rides in on his horse. Ah, yeah. Um, You know, that and that is all that's the last time that any of these things happen because because the coronation has cost so much money, and Mm. not just because it's cost so much money, but because George was so personally unpopular at this Mm. time. Mm. When he, you know, because he dies after only 10 years, and William IV becomes king. In contrast, so we've just had two hundred and forty thousand pounds spent mm. on George's coronation. Do you know how much William the Fourth and, and remember that he is crowned with Queen Adelaide, mm. so it is a joint coronation. So there will be more for the you know, the hire of jewels for the consort's crown. Yes, yes. For yeah. example. Only thirty thousand pounds. Wow. that's
0: so William the Fourth, though, isn't it? Didn't it he is want very to do a
1: hackney carriage? <laughs> yeah, in, indeed. Uh, and that's the equivalent of just over 2 million in today's money. Uh, and so, just to give a point of, of mm. contrast, so uh, we're going to be talking about Queen Victoria's coronation in the next episode. And that cost £79,000, right. which is the equivalent of about 4.7 million. So, that is, it's not in the middle by any means, but you can see that. Mm. By the time Queen Victoria comes along, and you, um, again, we have to remember that she is crowned alone, well, would have been crowned alone anyway, because yeah, there isn't because Albert, had they been married at that point, wouldn't have been crowned as king consort. She would have there pushed no for it, I suspect. No, but there probably would have been a little more money spent on it, given that there would have been more of a retinue, uh, okay. to attend, but um, so you know, we can see how. George's coronation, the amount that's been lavished on George's coronation,
2: mm.
1: you know, it's been cut to the bone um for Williams and then you know rises a bit for Victoria's. But it's you know, they they cut an awful lot of these traditions. Yeah. Uh, and it's been well, seen. They as... had
0: three coronations in relatively short order, didn't they?
1: Well, it's within what, 17 years, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Which is not, you know, people would have probably been a bit bored of them. Um but we, I mean. So just go back then to what happens on the day. So Caroline basically turns up the coronation and makes the mother of all scenes. So she first of all. It's oh, a bit
1: of an understatement. Really.
0: Well, well, no, quite, quite. So she first of all tries to get entrance into the doors at the West Cloister. They didn't, um, wouldn't let her in. Then she heads down to Westminster Hall. And at first I was like, why is she going to Westminster Hall? But then, as you've reminded me, Westminster Hall is still in use as part of the coronation. Yes at this point and there so a witness described how the queen stood at the door fuming as bayonets were held under her chin until the deputy lord chamberlain had the door slammed in her face i mean that's pretty i mean obviously today you'd just be like that's your picture <laughs> yes. you know and that and you just think if in today's mass media world much that would have overshadowed the coronation because that's the only picture that's getting on the front page of any newspaper in the world
1: yeah yeah you're not going to see george with his crown are you after all you, you are,
0: are not you're going to see the queen with a bayonet <laughs> under her chin it's like i just love that detail it's not even like toward her, but under her chin as in take one move forward um, and then the door slammed in her face that's that's a
1: story it is and um but that's when I, I hesitate to say that's when her popularity, she loses all her popularity. Yeah, it but is certainly she, she's no, she's not well received at this point, is she? She's not.
0: So she, like I say, the, the people that had been advising her do, do not think she should have done this. Um, and I think she's misjudged what her popularity actually is. I think it is not as intrinsic to her as she maybe thinks it could be. Um, so she then, she basically has a sort of altercation, with um, Sir Robert um, Inglis, who's playing a role in the coronation, and he persuades her to return to her carriage. And as she goes away, obviously news has spread quickly, the crowds jeer her. Mm. So there had been riots in her favour, there had been cheers, but now she's gone. And I, I have this sense, and you might tell me I'm reading too much into this, but there's obviously been a lot of social unrest, there's a lot of agitating for reform, She becomes a figure of it in in, in defiance of the prince regent um, and even the king when he becomes king. But then there's something about the coronation and it kind of just brings everyone back. Mm. And it's kind Mm. of like you could push it, you could push it, you could push it. But when the king is crowned, Britain will flock to pay tribute to their king. It, yeah, it's just I, like a something in us that will
1: reset. Well, I think that it's I think it's sort of the ultimate insult on Caroline's part that people yeah. will tolerate. You know, she is popular, but in a sense she goes slightly too far. I think you can't read far too much into it given that she does then go to uh, to the theatre Royal Drury Lane, and she she is cheered when she appears in in her books there, and mm. uh, and she does die very soon after this, a yes. few weeks later. Um, and because of now, whether this is because of her popularity or whether the the court perceive her popularity, mm. the procession is banned through the the streets of the city of London um, to prevent mm. and and. It takes place at night to prevent
2: mm.
1: popular uprising in her favor. but I think I think you're right. she it's seen that she's almost gone too far. You know people will will support her because she's popular, but 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 people are fickle and they'll turn on sixpence yeah. And as soon as you are then t- um criticizing or, or trying to it's not even that she's criticizing George. I think people would have accepted that, but I think it's the fact that she is attempting to mm. not just to upstage him. But upstage the proper mm-hmm. order and the ceremonial mm-hmm. because of course it's disrespectful to the church it's disrespectful mm-hmm. to god the way in which he's trying to force her entrance into the abbey so i think mm-hmm. it goes much deeper than simply who is more popular her or George. yeah yeah well it's almost
0: a bit like you know they say and, and this this comes up a lot in the crown doesn't it but the whole no one is more important than the crown you know that that kind of mentality no. And that, uh, and I just think as well, I mean, maybe it's because I'm more of a medievalist, but, you know, in in medieval times, early Tudor times, no king is secure on his throne until he's been crowned. Because for a lot of people, yes, he's got the blood right, but until he's anointed, he's not God's chosen king. He's no. not, and whereas an anointed king, you'd oppose at your peril so even someone unless they break their coronation oath so when you've got a king like henry vi who is a disaster and england is falling apart under his watch but he's not a tyrant he's not broken his coronation oath he's just not very good at it and And he
1: proves difficult to get rid of he's
0: very difficult to get rid of even when another army has completely got him captive, taken control of the government, they still, Parliament still won't do it because he's God's anointed king. And that happens at the coronation. Yes. And I just have a feeling that maybe with someone like George IV, there might have been a bit of early disruption, but now this is the moment where he becomes God's anointed king. And I wonder, You, I think you might think I'm, I'm leaping around too much, but with what we've seen with charles yes. we saw good succession you know very yes. good first few days but there has been murm- murmurs that there were always going to be in these early months mm-hmm. with oh let's do a survey and find out how many people in the republic always oh, that's not that many but all oh, but young people do young people are very worried about the monarchy and, and these protesters that are turning up to different things saying oh, not my king not my king and I just <laughs> I've, wonder. i
1: encountered a few of them at, at, at a few things that I've been to quite recently as well, because uh, I was at Westminster Abbey for the Commonwealth Day Service. There were quite a number of them there. Mm. Uh, and also at York, uh, York Minster for the Royal Maundy last month. Mm. And so there in particular I I think it's fair to say there were about 30 or so of those protesters but because they were all in their their yellow hoodies Mm. and they'd got their placards and uh, they'd got their loud hailers and they were all chanting they did Mm. get an awful lot of attention but when you think that there were then Mm. thousands of people who had turned up to cheer the king and queen and to see them and I suppose it's a bit different for people like me who who try to go to as many of these things mm. as you can. But when you saw the number of people who were from the area, from York and North Yorkshire, who had turned out, mm. because for them it was a big deal yeah, that the yeah. king was in their city, and certainly the number of children with flags mm. waving them, you know, it really was, mm. they were not just outnumbered, but wildly outnumbered. Yeah. You know, there was, there was no comparison. Mm. but because they were because they were quite noisy mm. they of course get a lot more attention than is proportionate
0: yes they do and we're tolerating it at the moment that's sort of what i mean like there's a, I mean, I'm the most monarchist, monarchist ever that you could ever be. But even I will accept, you know, with the, with the death of her late majesty, there's an element of it will never be quite the same again. Some of it was connected to her personally. And I think we've sort of had that acknowledgement over the last few months. Um, and we've tolerated the attention given to these protesters. And I'm not suggesting they shouldn't have the right to protest, but I don't know that we need it talked about in the news. But as you say, it's only a handful of people all the time. I think that's going to change. As the coronation happens this week and our king is crowned, I think Britain will rally to her king as she always does. And I think we're going to see more intolerance to these time-wasting protesters. I
1: would say that that it probably will fizzle out because when you look at the number of people that they are expecting on Coronation Day at Trafalgar Square and at other points on the route, you... You, you know you look at that and yes they're expecting more than a thousand but when right. you compare that to the tens of thousands mm. and, and the other thing i would say is that yes a lot of the popularity for the monarchy was was due to the late queen um and you know she was somebody that i had loved respected admired mm. since i was a, a small child i can't mm. remember a time Me when too. I didn't. but you know having gone and to the to see the procession for the lying in state and again for her funeral Mm. I mean on the funeral day there were so many people I've never seen I mean I've been to quite a lot of occasions in the mall over Mm. the years but I've never seen as many people as there were on the day of her funeral Mm. and so many of them because they broadcast the service on loudspeakers openly weeping in the streets mm, mm, and that's not and yes that's partly because they they felt a connection to her as an individual mm, but it's also i think because there is a connection between mm, the head of state
2: mm,
1: and the people that that go along to because they recognize that 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 is somebody who is above yep. politics is above everything else and is even if you don't believe in god the fact that that person is is set apart and is is crowned and is anointed Mm, i think mm. is symbolic yeah it it is something that people will recognize even if as i say even if they don't necessarily believe in god there is that element that that person has been but it's about something
0: that's bigger isn't it so even if you don't believe in god it's about having something that's not just like everything else. And and monarchy points toward that, that otherness, that that's something that it, it might be a bit more than just daily life. Yeah. I mean, I think what a lot of Republicans misunderstand is they do have, you know, you and me are both Democrats, you know, believing in a lot, probably a lot of egalitarian doctrines. But what I think, the, so when Republicans make these very intellectual arguments against monarchy, I, I kind of get it on an intellectual level. But I think what they what they forget is that human beings are not just intellectual beings; we are also tribal, instinctive parts of a clan. And of course, we don't let those instinctive, tribal parts of our clanness quite to predetermine all of or dictate all of our decisions and it'd be a very bad thing if we did but just occasionally you need that aspect of coming together saying we are a clan that is our leader and we are going to be loyal to our leader and monarchy is by no means the only way that we can have it people have it with football people have it with all kinds of sort of other things that they support that's outside of themselves but monarchy is such a great unifier of that that everyone can share in it together and i think republicans misunderstand the power that that brings to a society
1: well the monarch is not just head of state the monarch is also the head of the nation mm. And yeah, I, I always used to refer to the queen when i was asked about it that she was the mother of the nation and certainly when she died it was as though the nation had lost its its mother mm. or its grandmother figure because i think everybody will associate with the monarchy in different mm. levels even even people who don't particularly like the monarchy do you mm. live your life by the fact that you know this person was here at the i remember them at this age i remember yeah, absolutely where I was when they when they got married i remember where i was when he became king you oh, know all mm. of those things they're, they're all markers in our in our lives mm. um, and so i think that there's that that connection uh, but I mean, going back further than that, you know, there's there's almost, you know, the the two bodies of the monarch, aren't there? In in that there is the the earthly person, but then there's also the the celestial being once they've been crowned, mm-hmm. and so there is it, it's that feeling that that person is is set apart and is there, but it's also somebody who is, as I say, because of the, the father or the mother of the nation, mm-hmm. there's that connection there and it's seen that that person is acting on on our behalf and that there's that connection and you know i all i would say is that you know if you look 20 odd years ago and it was the queen's golden jubilee there were reports that that was going to be a great failure uh and there Mm, were mm, there were debates about what is the you know because the silver jubilee had been 25 years before Mm. and of course there have been all of the breakdown of the Queen's children's marriages, not just mm. Charles and Diana, but Andrew and Sarah, yeah. Anne's marriage as well, um, and of course, Diana's death. And so yeah. there was all of those things that happened in the in a few years prior to the Golden Jubilee. Uh-huh. And there were lots of speculation that it was going to be a damp squib. It turned out to be a great success uh-huh. as was the Diamond uh-huh. Jubilee, as was the Platinum Jubilee. So I think that before all these events, there, there's always yes, a yes. sense of Is this still relevant to us? Is this going to be a success? Do people care? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And every time it proves that that there is still the support for it and that it will happen. And so I think that you're right, going back to George and Caroline, there was that sense that Mm. she had probably pushed the envelope that bit too far. George may have been unpopular, but he was still the king. And so by disrespecting him, yes, they may not have liked him, but it was also disrespecting the proper order and it was disrespecting Mm. God. By going to and trying to force her way into the the ceremony, and so I think that's where she lost some degree of public sympathy. As I say, not all of it, because as I say, she was cheered when Mm. she went to the theatre and and whatever afterwards. So I don't think it's fair to say that she lost all her public support. Yeah, but certainly I think that she was seen as having gone that step too far, and that the link between crown and country was still intact, and more so than you would have imagined, given George's personal unpopularity and that of his brothers as well because it mm. wasn't just him you know there was it was an era where the royal family were not necessarily popular i mean princess charlotte was seen as a great hope for the nation i'm sure on her death yes and that had that had affected the the way in which people had viewed certainly mm. the future and of course that's why so soon after her death we have the great you know great marriage race for um yes if eventually led story. to Victoria's birth I think as well, it's it's very interesting
0: that I think because so many of us, like me, skip from the Tudors to Victoria, <laughs>
1: <I forget laughs> and, in uh, between.
0: yeah, that we like the sort of narrative around the early Victoria reign of the Hanover, that the Han- Hanoverian uncles had really tarnished the crown with their debauched ways. Victoria comes in with Albert and restores it with a with sort of family monarchy. And I think that is true. I think that narrative is is valid. But actually, this shows that relationship that you talked about, that relationship between monarchy and country is actually still at the heart of national identity. Disraeli, later in the century, would build a whole political career, effectively, on that relationship and harnessing that.
2: Mm.
0: And I think we're about to see this week that that relationship is very much alive and well and that while much died with elizabeth ii that that core connection between crown and people has not and in fact had it it
1: would not really be a great tribute to her life's work and no and and going further than that i mean what would be the one thing that she would have, she would have wanted to see it would be her son secure on the throne yep. after her after her time mm. and so i think that you know I mean, I I still can't help but think it's it's I still find it difficult to believe in some ways that she's gone just because she mm. was such a, a big part of our, our lives. Mm. Um and certainly near where I live, one of the, the local parks, there's um by the war memorial, they've got displays and they've got the the guardsmen and they've got the mm. king and queen in the centre and they've got a C3R and they've got um they've got the, the dogs there. Mm. And then just a bit further along in the churchyard. They've got um, an, a model of of Elizabeth II holding Paddington Bear's hand, mm. going off into the, you know, into the graveyard and into the into the sunset. And I'm not somebody who's moved to tears easily, but I must admit, because I I, I I go running past there quite often. Mm. And when I saw that, it 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 did make me feel mm. slightly teary, because it's that thing of I want to celebrate the coronation, of course I do, but it's still sad in a way to think that we're celebrating it because she's gone i know i know i know and i don't
0: think but w- you know we we were the elizabethans we were the second elizabethans and that will always be our main identification with monarchy and there's nothing wrong with that but we there'll be a new generations who have a new identity and i'm the same age as the prince of wales um i'm literally i think a month older than him and like you were saying about charting your life and using the royal family's benchmarks, I, you know, will go through everything with him at exactly the the same stage in terms of ages. Obviously, we'll have very different life experiences, but he will always be an Elizabethan to an extent. Yes. And and but the future won't be; it will be something else, and it will probably be William even more than Charles that sets the pace for what that future is going to be with his own children. But I I would hate the thought that that future ever does ever doesn't include a monarchy.
1: No, and and it's right you you say that, but and things will obviously evolve. But you know, if you look when when you and I were children, one of the big things each year was the number of and sadly, I wish my parents had taken me to do this with a number of children that would line up outside Clarence House to give the Queen Mother flowers on her birthday. Mm. And mm. yet it's strange. And and so I think any for anybody of our sort of age. They mm. will remember that vividly, or even if you never went, you saw it on the news. Whereas, of course, now, more than 20 years later, there's a whole generation of children who either will not have, will, mm. will, will, will have no memory of her, but will know her as an historical figure, will probably know her better from being Queen Consort during the Second World War mm. than through the the life that she led as Queen Mother. Yeah. yeah. I suppose that is what will happen, you know, in future generations. People will remember Elizabeth II, but they won't have that say, you know, they, mm. Their experience of monarchy will be under King Charles and, yeah. and then William. At, it the it time will.
2: Comes.
1: It, it, it will. And everything I've seen
0: about how the king is, is taking the lead with the support of, of the new queen gives me optimism that it's going to be a great experience for future generations in the same way that it has been for us.
1: And one thing I will say is that you know, for all that people question her popularity, I, I was recently at an event that she went to on her own, and mm. that still the number of people that had turned up to to yeah. cheer her, you know, without the king was mm. was still mm. you know it was still full. There was still an awful lot of people there waving their flags and everything, and so that mm. I, it it mm. does show that once she has does have personal popularity, but also the popularity of the monarchy as an institution yes. is much bigger than ever Mm, mm. the popularity is for the individual. And that's, I think, no matter which member of the royal family it is, Mm, there's mm. that connection there to the bigger picture than it is necessarily to the individual that wears the crown or is visiting that day.
0: And that's one of the benefits of it. You get the whole family. Now, as we have seen, that's a benefit and a problem because not everyone's part of the family firm. And I think the only thing i think that could be positive that's come out of the stuff with the duke and duchess of sussex is maybe there does need to be a clearer path to exit for those who just don't want to do it and and that should maybe be offered earlier although (laughs) how the duke and duchess of sussex would give us any confidence they've taken that path given they want to use royal title for their own children is 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 it well it's I, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't judge because I can't claim to understand what they're going through or what their rationale is. But it seems perplexing.
1: Well, all I would say on that, I mean, I, you know, that's a, that's a whole other debate for another yeah, day. Yeah, But yeah. The, but what I would say is that I find that difficult to. I I I think that's sad. I think. Well, firstly, I think it's a real sadness because I was in in Windsor when they got married. And also yeah. I, I was there. Beautiful for their wedding. Very, it was beautiful wedding. Beautiful wedding. Um, and the number of people that are queued out on the streets to in Windsor to see mm. them and then all down the long walk. But I was also there because their first appearance as an engaged couple was mm. in Nottingham. And I was right. there that day um, I, I'm standing on a wall Opposite the Nottingham Contemporary, um, waiting for them to to arrive. And again, the number of people that achieved they were they were very popular. Mm. I don't want to get into were they more popular than the than the current Prince and Princess of Wales because I don't think that is actually helpful. And I think it's extremely no, successful. it's not. It's not how life but, works either. No. Either. But I do think that it is fair to say they were extremely popular. Mm. And I think that Prince Harry had done so many good things.
0: He'd done some brilliant done, things. So, and and so, so had she. I mean, this was so, so
1: frustrating. So they that, could have
0: been such a benefit and so that's why all it's of such a,
1: a sadness that that, that, that they are no longer there. But the thing that I don't understand or find difficult to understand is that if the institution, as they call it, or the mm. firm, as again they call it, is so toxic... Why mm. they want to have titles for their children? I doesn't know that they're it's their birthright, any, and it is their. But they are
0: legally. It's their birthright. Right? I, I want their children to have titles. Don't get me wrong. I'm all. But books. but like, I
1: can't I can't understand the motivation why you would want that if it is if it is as bad as you say it is. It doesn't you make want to do. any sense because the
0: whole premise of Harry's book Spare is that if you're in the royal family but you don't have a clearly defined role in it, it's more of a more of a curse than a blessing.
1: Yes. and i can understand that i don't think it's an unreasonable thesis no but... and indeed when i've been when i've been asked on the radio before i've been asked about princess beatrice and princess Eugenie and, I, and mm. i've always had a degree of sympathy for them in the fact that they do have the stars and titles yet they are not working members of the royal family so they're not carrying out engagements so they have then to go and make their own way in life and and have their own jobs and whatever but then they're criticised for cashing in on their royal connections yeah, quite and they can't wait. So, and wait. No, so having the titles can prove to be a millstone round the net. And and yeah. you know, if you look at the current Duke and Justice of Edinburgh when they got married, they the difficulties they had in, in sustaining yes. their own careers. And so they did become full-time working members of the royal family. Mm. That was the solution for them that they came into the fold rather than out of it. Yes. So it's not it's not easy and it is fraught with problems. But I I, I but I do think that if you are if you're wanting to reject the whole system, then Keeping the titles and and wanting them for the children it just seems it's, an it's, odd way in which to odd. do
0: it. I agree, it's odd. Well, your royal highnesses, if you're listening, do feel free to leave a comment to tell us why we're wrong. Because I think both James and I would say while we've struggled to grasp why certain decisions have be made, we generally are aware that we don't have all the information or know what it's really like to live. No, and I, and in I should point out Royals. that
1: I, I certainly feel, and, and I think you you feel the same, that we're not. That we're not trying to to second guess or or overanalyze them, and also that I think there is that we both have a degree of sadness that mm, things have turned mm. out the way they are. It's not you know it's not as though we feel that it's that it was inevitable or that it's yeah you know or that you know there are lots of people out there that criticize them and I, and I think that some of that criticism is, uh, is unfair and I, I do try and be uh, fair and balanced. But m- much of it is unfair. And actually, at the point where they first
0: announced they were they were off. At that point, I was still very much in their I don't want to talk about being in their camp or being on their side because it's not I'm not it's not that I'm not on their side now, but I was very defensive of their position. Because they like, all right, they tried it, it didn't work out. There's got if you're gonna be a family business, there's got to be an exit clause. got it? it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen probably each generation. So fair enough. So everyone all everyone's saying, Oh, Harry should give back all the money that we've raised him. It's like, well, first of all, you don't understand how royal finances work, and second of all don't don't be an idiot don't be unkind you know this is just a situation that's happened and now we've got to deal with it my the the where i have disagreed most with the choices they have made is the way they have managed their public profile and the things they have said about the royal family particularly in the spare book which i feel is full as we now know of of not just ungrounded comments but comments which are factually proved to have been inaccurate going to the very trivial to the really quite significant and the power that they know they have and the lack of responsibility and due diligence they've shown to we even speak the speak the truth about factual things which i think undermines so much of what they're saying across the board but i i don't come to these things free from cognitive biases you know i'm a big royalist so i'm always probably going to be looking to find the arguments to defend royalty i am open to Seeing things differently, but I did try and read the book in good faith, and I must say
1: it was tough. I find it a tough read as well.
0: Mm. Anyway, we've probably got a bit away from uh coronation catastrophes and um well, hopefully. Well, I'm glad I'm very glad the Duke is coming. I must say I'm very glad. I also think in, in the Duchess not coming, although I wouldn't have had an issue with her coming,
1: I think they've shown a really sensible compromise. I think that's clever. I'm pleased he's going because the king would want his son there to yeah. see him crowned. But I do think it will bring a lot of awkwardness with it.
0: Well, it wouldn't be a family event without some awkwardness, would it? I suppose. I, I wouldn't know. but um... I think there's more awkwardness him not being there. The thing with family events, with these sorts of things, not just family events, anything... You only get to make the decision once. Yes. And it's so much better to go and regret it than to not and, go and yeah, regret indeed. it. Yeah, indeed. I mean,
1: I, I do remember last year Um, I was outside Westminster Abbey when it was Prince Philip's memorial service. Mm. And there certainly was a, a real sense among people that it was it was sad that he wasn't there because whatever mm. was going on within the family and whatever arguments there were, that it was a great shame that he wasn't there. Mm. to see his, his grandfather's memorial. And of course, the last time that his grandmother was at a a, a service yeah. of that, not of memorial service necessarily, but at a public service like that, um, mm. I think that 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 was a great sadness. And I wouldn't care to speculate whether they regret it or not, but I know that if I'd been in that position and not gone, I would regret not going more than God. I would regret turning up.
0: Of course. And that perhaps that's influenced this decision. Um, but let's hope... I mean, the good thing is, this is not going to be a coronation of catastrophes. It's going to be a fantastic day. And I just hope that in when we look back on it in history, like with George the Fourth, we'll see a huge turning point in 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 Charles's reign, not that it's been bad by any means so far.
1: No, no, I, I think he's had a very successful start to his reign mm, in the me too. In which he's been. To. But you know, as the late Queen said herself in that famous annus Horribilis" speech, mm. that history may take a more moderate view than the views of some contemporary commentators. I
0: I completely agree. Um, and on that note, I think it's time to conclude this episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Both of you, and don't forget. Um, if you're listening to these in order then make sure you now go and listen to episode four where we talk about the coronation of catastrophes that was queen victoria's coronation if you're not listening to them in order you crazy cat then go and listen to whatever one it is that next takes your fancy and if you finished listen to them again but either way hope to have you hear us soon goodbye goodbye